Welcome to Creatively Christian, a podcast by Theophany Media, where we inspire, inform, educate, and empower creative Christians of all types. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Hollingsworth. Welcome to Creatively Christian. I'm your host, Bill Brooks, bringing you another Creative Christian. Today's guest is a PhD in theater. Uh, He's made many creative pursuits, performs mad science presentations, radio dramas, but our audience is more most interested in his work with the skit guys. Please, please welcome to Creatively Christian, Dr. Barrett Huddleston. Hey, 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 how's everybody's day day? <laughs> How are you? Ah, I'm making it. I just uh, I had to put together a leaf blower that would pneumatically shoot ping pong balls this morning. Oh, yeah. You have no idea how hard it is to find two and one quarter inch vinyl tubing in this town. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm great. I'm great. That sounds like uh, Mythbusters stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so I've mentioned you have a PhD in theater. Where did you get your PhD? So I went for my master's program at Oklahoma State University, and I attended my PhD program at the University of Minnesota. Okay, excellent. University so- of Minnesota, I chose for three main reasons. Number one, and probably the most important, they offered me the best deal. <laughs> yep. uh, number two uh, was that there was... The person that eventually became my advisor had written the book on early middle ages representation and because I was interested in performance topics and religion, he seemed like a great fit for me. And the third reason was is that uh, the University of Minnesota has this kind of wacky tradition. A lot of the people that have gotten their master's degrees there or PhDs are just kind of on the weirder side. So like uh, John Aston, the original Gomez Adams, oh. he's a gopher. Uh, America's caveman, Ron Perlman, master's degree candidate. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I've always been kind of a weird dude and it's a weird place. And I've got no problem being inside for six months out of the year. So Minneapolis, St. Paul, perfect choice. Exactly. So do you teach with your PhD? Do you use it anywhere so, for teaching? Okay. So I have taught in... Processing. Yeah, I've taught in about, I would say, 10 to 15 colleges and universities wow. over the course of my career. My longest stint was I did teach at Oklahoma Christian University in the Edmond, Oklahoma area for about seven and a half, eight years. And I taught there, of course, in the theater program. And that's where I did things like uh, teach classes in drama ministry, religious and supernatural drama. And I participated in what they call the McBride Center for uh, Literary Studies, which is kind of a Frankenstein monster or marriage between literary and religious studies. And that's where I got to interview uh, David Henry Wang, the author of In Butterfly. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. A staff staff editor for Ecumenica, 
uh, it's uh, Journal of Theater and Performance, and we are still, I think it's still around, it's the longest running and most profuse literary journal and theatrical journal that is also about religion. And during that time, we landed a lot of big fish. We, uh, we got to do interviews with E. Benzler. We did our own translations of Faust and things like that. I'm really proud of my work on that. Awesome. Sweet. So uh, you've worked with the skit guys. So right. which, which skits have you written for the skit guys? So last time I checked, because usually my modus operandi annually is my vacation month is August. I have a very Uh-oh. busy summer usually, and I have a very busy fall and spring because of my teaching duties. And so August, I'll rattle out about one, two, three, four sketches for them, send them off to their very accommodating staff. They'll send them back to me about a month, two months later, and they'll tell me, this is terrible, this is great, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I'll put the edits, and they usually get published by the first of the year. Last count, let's see, I started in 2016. Last count, I think it was about up to 15, I think, published sketches. Wow. Um, typically, our best most prolific time of the year is around the holidays because even if you're a congregation or a church group that typically doesn't have a drama ministry program, Christmas and Easter, you have to have something besides just a dude at a podium talking. Right. So uh, we're often encouraged to at least churn out one new Christmas or Easter sketch every year, just because those are the time of the years when auditoriums, chapels, sanctuaries become the most ecumenically fluid spaces, right? Right. The time of the year, it's, it's a, kind of an Ouroboros. They're at their most religious because it's recognized as national religious holiday in most of the world. And yet your constituency, your audience is the most seeking. Because if I don't go to any church any other time of the year, I'll go to visit grandma or mom on Christmas or Easter. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I used to think that there were only two skit guys and yeah, because those are the only, those are the only guys that I saw. So yeah, how, many, yeah, yeah, yeah. how many staff writers are there? How many actual skit say, guys are there? So I would say that there are, last time I was at a retreat digitally with them, there were about a dozen of, uh, of the men behind the curtain, so to speak, and women behind the curtain, obviously. Yeah. How many skit gals are there? Yeah, I would say that there, I would say most of the people behind the curtain are of the female persuasion. Wow. And that's because the sketches that are written are not just the ones that are performed by the eponymous skit guys. Uh-huh. We deliberately write sketches for drama ministry programs, puppet, puppet programs, VBS programs. Oh. And just because of the way that transitions from one career block to another work, uh, you'll find that a lot of people that used to be the family minister, the children's minister at a particular congregation have now stepped out on their own. They've become some sort of an independent artist or publisher. And a lot of those individuals happen to be females. Yeah, awesome. So a friend of mine just sent me a video called God's Chisel. And, 
Yeah, that's kind of like the um, Seinfeld has like this bit that he does about soap, and he's been doing it for forty years. Yeah, like God's Chisel and the one where uh, one of the skit guys plays Little Timmy or whatever. That's yes, like, yes. Uh, like uh, if you're watching this and you're one of the robot lizards that have uncovered this interview digitally hundreds of thousands of years from now uh just one of the things that the skit guys are known for is their sketch god's chisel and little timmy sketches yeah so do you have any hand in writing god's chisel at all no so like i said i came on about 2016 they've been around for at least a decade before then uh like most drama ministry uh apparatus the skit guys started out like any other professional religious performers. They were performing for friends, they were performing for congregations in their area, and then it kind of took off from there. So I've come in on like the, so if God's chisel is the Iron Man to to, uh, Avengers of Skid Guys, I'm at about the first Spider-Man movie. Right, I, I've come in just before Infinity War. You're speaking yeah. my language. I okay. totally understand. <laughs> uh, in the skit guys pantheon, so to speak. Awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't even gotten a sequel to solo film yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about your mad science presentations. So I yeah. So I assume that has something I, to do with your leaf blower. So the two, yeah, the two educational enrichment programs that I am involved with is Mad Science, which I was involved with since about 2014. And we are the world's leading science enrichment provider, mostly by doing things like assemblies, after-school programs, workshops. In the past two years, I've actually started my own business called Finer Arts. And it's kind of the A in STEAM. And we concentrate a lot on... Uh, humanities, arts, etc. So for example, this evening I'm going to be performing an assembly called I've Made a Monster to a group of children that's supposed to be teaching them about how to overcome their fears by kind of examining folk tales, myths, and legends about monsters through history. And that's the reason why I started that business is twofold. Number one, I wanted to have more creative control over Uh, the types of material that I perform. Within mad science, you can only flex so many muscles. And the reason is is because it's an international content provider, which means we have to be very cautious in regards to religious sensitivities. Uh, In regards to finer arts, because I run the entire show within the first year of starting operations on the LLC, I was able to write, develop, produce a program called The Rainbow Show, it's very popular with religious CDCs, Mother's Day Out programs, and of course, churches. That's all about Noah's Ark. Okay, awesome. Uh, what audience are these uh, science experiments, science presentations for? So the bread and butter of mad science and fighter arts is kind of pre-K to middle school. Essentially, it's a strategic target because if you look at most kids that are pre-K, kindergarten, they have a thriving love of both science and art, regardless of whether or not they are going to be a professional artist, an engineer, an actuary, an underwater basket weaver, whatever it is. (laughs) 
But when you look at those same kids and they are in fifth or sixth grade, it's almost like their souls have already started to calcify. Wow. And so that's why we target that specific age group is because if you can make people just enjoy STEAM, whether it's mathematics or whether it's the humanities or whether it's improvisational theater or clowning or whether it's folklore, you can just make them enjoy that without realizing that they necessarily have to make a living doing it, right? Right. If you're going to be an actuary, you can still be a wonderful audience member when it comes to film. Even if you're gonna be an engineer, you can still learn how great it is to have some capacity at recognizing visual art. Even if you're gonna be an underwater basket weaver, you <laughs> still know the difference between a chemical and a physical reaction. Yeah, exactly. That's an unloved profession, those underwater basket weavers. Absolutely. My gosh, and it's the entire second year of uh, getting a PhD in theater. That and pronouncing obscure Russian names. Like, that's it. Dostoevsky. You can't do those things. Those Stanislavski. Things. Yeah, you just, you just end up... Yeah, they, they, they send you to uh, Clown College in Florida. That's it. Yep. So I found a, a video of you doing some science for the Children's Center Rehabilitation Hospital. Yeah, that was about four or five years ago. Uh, the interesting story about that was I got there and they gave me an hour long tour before I performed. They wanted me to know all about the story of this widow that got wow. off the train on Reno Avenue in the early 20th century and had a, had a voice from God that tell her she needed to start a hospital there. Wow. And I'm like, that's great. I'm going to go get my stuff. <laughs> and I started to unload my stuff. And they're like, is that fire? Because a lot of my act, a lot of my act involves setting things on fire three or four feet from seven-year-old faces. Um, so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to do this big swish boom thing. And I'm like, this place is like 35% oxygen tank. <laughs> she can't bear within a five mile radius of this building. So yep. luckily went down the street, got some dry ice, made some frontier medicine. Everything worked great. Whew. Wow. <laughs> but that's oftentimes, I, I would say, if you want to be any sort of professional entertainer, whether it's a traditional actor, whether it's a film actor, or whether it's a stand-up comedian, do some yeoman's work as a children's entertainer. Yeah. I promise you. Because number one, there is no more brutal heckler than a really self-entitled eight-year-old on their own birthday. Yes. Uh, uh, number two, uh, you will have to adapt to any number of situations and work any number of different kinds of frontier medicines. And number three, it's an easy way to see an abundant difference of audiences. So for example, uh, last semester when I was working at Finer Arts, the schools were just opening again. And I also teach college. First thing in the morning, I would drive 90 minutes to do two back-to-back -back speech classes at a very, very exclusive uh, high school, uh, concurrent enrollment high school, religious space. Then I would turn around and I would teach a traditional uh, theater class in a large university with a mixture of all different sorts of students. And then after that, I would spend an hour and a half doing either mad science or finer arts 
for a group of kids that we're talking 95% of the students in this public school system are on some sort of either state or federal support. Uh, and then that evening I was teaching a class, a uh, college class uh, for uh, like a for-profit university. And some of my students literally are walking from the halfway house to class. Wow. And all of that only happens if you're able to variegate your audiences. And because wow. of that, I feel like I can really respond to any kind of spectatorship that I encountered. Yeah, that is improv at its highest degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's talk about your radio dramas. Oh, sure. So good friend of mine, uh, Amy, Amy Stevens. She attends my church and has done since really before I attended that church. She got a gig uh, a couple of years back working for the Edmund Historical Society. Edmund is kind of like a... Uh, uh, like a bedroom community for the Oklahoma City metropolitan area. Oklahoma City is like the second largest city in the country, just geographically. It's way less expensive to build out than up or rebuild. Yeah. So it's huge city. Uh, and she talked to me about doing some radio dramas for her. So far, we've done pretty traditional stuff, you know, like Old Father Knows Best or Fibber McGee. We have gotten to do some pretty exciting stuff. I was able to adapt my own version of a uh, Buck Rogers oh. uh, program. I, I think the thing that I love about that is, and this is probably a larger topic in regards to religious audiences as well. In theater, if you deal with semiology or any literary criticism, we have to talk about polyvalence, right? But we mostly talk about polyvalence and messages. So it's not just what I say, can I have some tea? It's how I say, hey, can I have some tea? Or, hey, <laughs> hey, you want to Netflix and chill with some tea or whatever. When it comes to the audiences for these radio dramas, they are the most polyvalent audience that I've ever seen in my life. Because either you have got people that were alive when these radio dramas came out <laughs> and they're, they're enjoying it purely on the level of nostalgia is a heck of a drug. And then you have, because it's Edmund, these kind of hipster, younger audiences that are coming because it's a cheap date night uh, to watch these. And they are enjoying it purely because of how ironic families in the 1940s and 50s seem to them now via oh, radio drug. Yeah. Uh, so I love that, that polyvalent feel of knowing that and fail and or succeed on two completely different levels at the same time. <laughs> exactly. So are these live uh, on stage or are they? Some of them are live. The last one we did because of, you know, Coco COVID right. uh, was uh, canned. And you can watch that on the Edmund Historical website. It's uh, all about cooking um, because it was a holiday themed one. And the one that always does gangbusters, one that nothing to do with, it's nothing but Betty Crocker telling you how to make uh, war steak or something like that, uh -huh. which involves like ground beef and cornflakes and things like that. And uh, again, like all of the people that are 70 or 80 years old, like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. All of the people that are 20 or 30 are watching it. They're like, that's horrible. I Did <laughs> <laughs> you really not want to go vegan that much? That that's right. That? Yeah. 
I only learned last night that Betty Crocker was a made up. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's like, what was there, like a couple of dozen of them all across the country? Because look, if you are from Portland, Maine, you don't want your Betty Crocker sounding like she's from Louisiana, right? You okay. Want your Betty Crocker to sound like your grandma or mom. Wow. I keep learning so many things. Uh, so, so the only, uh, my mother-in-law listens to, uh, radio dramas on her actually radio, actual radio. There's okay. a, a station, there's a, a satellite station that plays the old, you know, oh my gosh. original radio dramas. Wow. I, like, I didn't expect now here, here would be my first question if the dude that had this idea was in the room with us right now. <laughs> do you edit them? Well, like, seriously, like, you don't want to listen to an unedited, like, Tarzan episode. They're terrible, right? So do they edit them or do they have, like, the thing where Whoopi Goldberg comes out before the Warner Brothers cartoon is like, what you're about to watch is horrible. It's going to be <laughs> horrible but we're showing it to you because we know it's horrible and we want you to know that we know it's horrible. No, oh, I'm pretty do. sure I'm pretty sure it's not edited. I pre- Just completely unvarnished. Unvarnished. Oh my gosh. That's all, the best. All the old No, no, no. I'm convinced the funniest thing in the world is when people are being awful and they don't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. There's also the Frasier episode with the the radio drama. There Yeah. <laughs> All of his friends walk out and it's just him. So anyway, yeah. that's that's all the experience I have with radio dramas. And so uh, let's talk about your beginnings in the beginning. Uh, when did you know that you were going to be a fan of the theater and acting? Oh man, so when I was in fifth grade, my church had a television show called The Carpenter's Children, which was a mixture of uh, you know, middle-aged, moral majority people and puppets. And I was not a middle-aged, moral majority person. So I was a penguin puppet for about three or four years. And after that, I realized that I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I have been short and homely and fat like my entire life. But in the theater, like they're always going to need somebody's best cookie friend, right? Yeah, yeah. I really, that's a place where that can be an asset for you, a big asset. And that's why I've enjoyed theater ever since. Um, so I thought I was going to be on the academic side of theater my entire life. I thought, I'll get a PhD. I'll get on a tenure track somewhere, write a couple of books, and I'll just be the old guy in the corner that has funny stories for the rest of my life. And then, you know, the huge uh, budget cuts came to university programs in the early, sorry, late 2000s, early 2010s. And my college, sorry, my university went through program review. Program review is code for cuts. And cuts is code for cuts to the arts and humanities. Yep, exactly. Uh, So I made the decision like, well, you know, like I could, panhandle myself or schlep around as uh, a visiting professor or an adjunct professor for the rest of my life or I could actually you know like 
You've heard of people that get a philosophy degree and they open up a shop and sell ideas. I had to figure out a way to sell theater. And I think that's, that's where you realize what kind of professional you are, artist you are, right? Right. There comes a point in every professional artist's life where they're like, I would rather never do my art again than never get paid for it. Right. Right. Yeah. So you figure out what they'll pay you for. And then five or 10 years later, that's what kind of artist you end up being. Yep, exactly. So uh, revelations from the journey. Uh, how has your faith served you on your journey? So I would say if you are going to be a religious artist, man, <laughs> you, you really, you, there's, there's no more path that you can choose for yourself in life where you're going to have to have a resolute and personal relationship with God. Here's the reason why. Because uh, as a theater guy, you walk into a room filled with theater people and you say, I can't stay at the cast party too late tonight because I got to go warm a pew somewhere tomorrow. And they're like, what? What are you doing here then? Right. You can't do all that stuff if you're the... And if you're a religious person and you walk in church and say, hey, I'm, I'm a child of the theater, like then you're a child of Satan. Yeah. You know? Right, right. So if you don't have some sort of anchor in your life where no matter where you're at and no matter who is there and what they think of you, if you can't say to yourself, what I'm doing, I know I'm doing right and I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm supposed to be doing, then you're going to have you're going to have a bad day your entire life because everybody is going to second guess everything that you ever say. So what would you tell yourself that a young Barrett Huddleston, when you first started out, if, what do you know now? Uh, just make sure your library card works because <laughs> a lot of the way that I cultivated my own personal relationship with God is just by reading people that are smarter than I am that have gone through harder times than I have. And uh, I would say, uh, don't rely upon the validation of people that are older than you and more respected than you just because they're older and more respected than you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amen. Uh, what do you know? I think I said that already. Uh, what pitfalls would you tell someone to look out for? Man. Okay. So I am a very, depending upon what particular chart or blue ribbon panel you're listening to, I'm like at the very, very, very end of the Gen X, so much so I might as well not be, or I'm like at the very, very beginning of being a millennial, so much so that I might not be. And so if you're a Gen Xer, you go to school to get a theater degree, or you go to school to get a film degree, or you go to school to get a visual arts degree, you're, you're told, well, that's, that's what you're going to be, because that's what we trained you to be. Right. Most millennial artists I know are now intelligent enough to realize that the old people that have tenure at your college, they have no idea what kind of landscape the artistic community is dealing with now. So don't listen to them at all as in regards to what you should do with what you know. Uh -huh. So a lot of the pitfalls that I fell into was, well, I, I can't write a book about theater and I can't write a play and I can't uh, get an agent to be in films, then I, I can't be an artist. Not realizing that because we have this wide 
and variegated digital landscape. Yeah. There are any number of ways to use the abundance of skills that I've acquired and learned over the years uh, to both share my faith and share my gifts. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it's a blessing. <clears throat> yeah. uh, so what is going on next for Barrett Huddleston? What is on your back burner? Uh, I'm going to shoot somebody in the face with ping pong balls tonight. <laughs> Uh, Edmund Historical so Society, their next radio drama launches sometime in early July. And in addition to that, uh, the libraries are open again. So I've got an entire summer of tours with all tales told. Uh-huh. Uh, so between that and a bougie vacation to Branson with my family in a week or so, I'll be all set. I'll be all <laughs> set at, at least until... Yeah, at least until all the Loki TV shows come out on Disney Plus. That's right. How many weeks are we yeah, talking about now? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to, like, I'm not sleeping the next three or four weeks anyway because of work. I'm just going to wake up sometime in early July, like, all right, I can finish like three <laughs> or four of these. That's right. Bonanza. <laughs> uh, so uh, repeat again the, the website for the Historical Society. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Edmund Historical Society dot org. Uh, yeah, www historical society dot org and uh, com. Excellent. All right, so one last question for someone who is trying to break into the theater industry today with all of the uh, the technology available today. What would you, what advice would you give to, to people today? Okay, number one, uh, if you get in a show, get just get in a show, you would be surprised how many community theaters out there don't have a dude to get coffee and hold a spear for Julius Caesar. <laughs> <clears throat> Second thing. Lots of people think I can't make my own theater with my own camera. Or whatever. Yes, you can. Even if it's you and your family and your friends who are terrible at acting, that's fine because you'll be the best looking person in that video. That's right. And, and I guarantee you, like half of the YouTube stars out there, there's like salt mines in Utah right now that are just filled with gigabytes of their old material that they don't want people to see anymore. You have to start somewhere. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's not accounting folks. They don't, they don't give you a master's degree. You take the CPA and then suddenly you're expected to do it as good as a person that's been there for a decade and a half, right? Art is one of those things that it's supposed to be messy and fail heavy at the start. The sooner you embrace the mess and the fail heaviness of it, the earlier you do it, the, the, the sooner you'll become better at it. Fail often. Fail early yeah. and often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my favorite quotation by Samuel Breck, Be Beckett. Oh. Uh, ever, ever onward, ever fail. Uh, never mind. Try again. Fail harder, fail better. Oh, I didn't know I was quoting that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is an agent important today? <sighs> it depends. If you want to live on... Okay. So one thing that I've tried to explain to my former students on either the secondary or 
university level is at a certain point, everybody is equally pretty. They're equally talented. They're equally educated. If somebody's considering on taking you on as an agent or even hiring you for some work that's going to eventually get you that uh, card, whether it's in theater or film, uh, equity or SAG, they want to know, can you be in close quarters with a dozen other people for three weeks and not have the other people want to murder you? <laughs> That's a good skill. And if you have uh, evidence of that, work you've created yourself, work you've been in, and you show them, look, these people worked with me, and then two months later, they worked with me again. <laughs> yes. You would be surprised how far that gets you in in a world that's far smaller than you think. Because theater people next to baseball people are the most superstitious and gossipy in the world. Wow. So there, there are no secrets in the theater world. If you're a diva, if you're hard to work with, it's fine. Tell you the truth, I uh, I was working in theater in the Minneapolis St. Paul area, and then from one job I got another job. I walked in, they had I had never met these people before in my life. Somebody accidentally dropped an f bomb, and then another person in the room says, "Stop, Huddleston's here." <laughs> he goes to church, language in front of him. I never said to anybody. I even went to church. It just gets around who you are. And whether or not you're easy to work with. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to pray for your your ping pong balls, and uh, we're going to pray <laughs> for your your the rest of your career. That might be a, a situation where applying a little bit of oil would help it because of the lubrication, right? Amen. Yes. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for allowing Barrett. Uh, to be with us. We thank you for uh, allow, for allowing him to share his expertise with us. Uh, we uh, pray for his uh, exploits uh, in science and in theater and in teaching students. And uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. And Barrett Huddleston is uh, going to be at a science museum near you. <laughs> Uh, where can people, uh, do you have a website explaining? Uh, let's see, uh, Finer Arts is the easiest place to go to find out about me, www.finerartsok.com. If you want to find out more about Mad Science of Central Oklahoma, just type Mad Science of Central Oklahoma in your Google search. I would guarantee you will be the first hit. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you. Take care. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Creatively Christian is a product of Theophany Media. You can find out more at theophanymedia.com. This show is hosted by Brandon Hollingsworth, Andrea Sandifer, Bill Brooks, and Lynn Baber. Our logo is by Bill Brooks. Our music is by Bill Brooks and Andrea Sandifer. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Have a blessed day and keep on creating for our Lord.